Walk in the Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Welcome to Breaking Doctrine, a U.S. Army Combined Arms Center podcast on our Army's doctrine and vision of warfare. I'm Captain Scott Jones, and today we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite things in the Army, leadership. It's one of the world's most popular nonfiction topics. Leadership books on Amazon number at over 60,000 books on offer with the word leadership in the title. Leadership is a practice that is constantly evolving, and thankfully we have doctrinal guidance about leadership within the Army provided by ADP 6-22, Army Leadership in the Profession and the newly released FM622, Developing Leaders. Ever a popular title, FM622 routinely finds itself as one of the top 25 books downloaded from the Army Publishing Directorate's website. And since we're discussing such a popular doctrinal publication with broad and varied opinions, it helps to have the lead for the organization responsible for FM622 and the author of the book on hand. Colonel Sane, the director for the Center of Army Profession and Leadership, also known as CAPL, and the former commander of 2nd Battalion, 18th Field Artillery, and the 4th Battlefield Coordination Detachment, joins us today. Sir, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Scott. Great to be here with you and the team. We also have the amazing Mrs. Judy Price, a retired Army engineer and author of the new FM622 with us today. Ma'am, welcome to the show. Uh, Scott, it's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. And finally, It wouldn't be breaking doctrine without the director of the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, retired Colonel, Mr. Rich Creed. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here, Scott. Thanks. So, before we dive into the book, I think it's good to put CAD and CAPL in context with one another and with the wider Army. It may help some of us to understand a little more about the mission of CAPL and some of the organization's recent initiatives. Sir, Colonel Sane, can you tell us more about the Center for the Army Profession and Leadership? Yeah, thanks, Scott. I'd be happy to. Uh, The Center for the Army Profession and Leadership, or CAPL, is an outcome of combining uh, two organizations. Uh, The Center uh, for Army Leadership, or CAL, that had been around in the Army since 1984 when it was established, uh, and the Center for the Army Profession and Ethic, or CAPE, which used to be located at at the United States Military Academy West Point. Uh, They were merged into one organization here at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, in April of 2019, Uh, And so there's really a combined mission, but that mission really for the Army uh, is to conduct studies, uh, develop doctrine and products, and provide services to strengthen the Army profession and improve leadership and leader development uh, across the force. And and that's really done primarily at the direct and organizational level. That's where we focus our time, think kind of brigade, uh, battalion level, and below. Uh, And and that's all focused to try to improve climates and leader effectiveness, uh, which really leads to more mission-ready units. Uh, or the prepare, in the preparedness of those leaders uh, to perform uh, operations. Uh, CAPL itself is a director within the Mission Command Center of Excellence uh, and CAC. Uh, and again, uh, in support of that, that mission, uh, CAPL's a responsible a contributor in a number of things that some of your, your listeners may already be familiar with. Like you mentioned, our leadership doctrine, or ADP 622, and the FM, which we're going to talk about here shortly. Uh, we, do, we do provide support to the School of Command Prep or the Pre-Command course when folks come through that. Uh, and then we also uh, conduct assessments and develop them and collect peer and subordinate feedback that, that is used in support of the command assessment program. So that's how the Army uh, has really transformed or evolved the selection of 05 and 06 
level uh, commanders and, and key leaders, as well as uh, brigade command sergeant majors. Um, Capital also uh, develops those how-to products, and those are things you can find on our website, so www.capital. Uh, guarantee, I wish I'd have known Capital or Cal existed before I would have had the opportunity to command great products and great tools, and then also some folks you can reach out to. Um, one of those programs uh, that Capital started uh, at the behest of the then uh, CG CAC, uh, then Lieutenant General Rainey in 2020, was called Project Athena. Uh, Project Athena is really a, a part of the larger cornucopia of uh, career-long assessments. So career-long assessments, Athena is really a, a, is a, a, a more accurate name now. But uh, Athena is a chief of staff of the Army initiative that provides leaders um, feedback on their skills, uh, capabilities, and tendencies. That's all intended to help them improve their self-awareness, become more self-aware. What are their strengths? What are their developmental needs? Where can they most, where could they best spend their time to be more effective as a leader uh, as they adjust their behaviors uh, to lead, communicate, uh, think, and interact with others? And primarily that's their formations and other leaders that they work with. As leaders are more self-aware, uh, and they put forth the effort to improve, and that's, we're going to talk about that, I think, later, which is that self-development domain of leader development, one of those three pillars uh, of leader development. Uh, the program itself, really, it starts in resident PME, and it's supported um, by a battery of what's called as a developmental assessments. This is all additive to the curriculum that each of our commandants and branch uh, chiefs is responsible for in each of our schools, and this includes our officers, our non-commissioned officers, warrant officers, and our Army civilians. But what it does is it provides individuals uh, a feedback on their performance or their responses to each of those assessments. That feedback, uh, feedback is structured in really three areas, leadership, cognitive, and, and those personal aspects. Uh, but everything, and we're, this is why it's so important today in this discussion with the ADP 622 and the FM 622, is, is it's all grounded, like the command assessment program, in the leadership requirements model. Those competencies and attributes contained in those documents define or show us all how we should behave. And that, that's regardless of whether we're a young private or we're an old colonel like myself. Um, those competency and attributes guide our behaviors, our treatment of other people, and our leadership in, inside the formations. Uh, that LRM, or that Leadership Requirements Possible, also grounds our evaluations. If you look at your officer evaluation report or non-commissioned officer evaluation report, uh, those competencies and attributes help to, help to frame the feedback on an individual's performance uh, that's being given. But again, uh, all this is really important that we learn about ourselves, our strengths and developmental needs, but the key is really doing something about it. So what is the what is the, the tool to, to, to move forward as an individual graduates from resident PME, takes these assessments, performs, um, learns more about their branch or MOS skills uh, in PME? And, and that tool uh, is a part of our, already a part of our, our counseling process, and that's an individual development plan, or IDP. Uh, that has been revised as a part of this new FM, uh, 622, and, and is now a DA form, DA form 7906. And what that IDP or an IDP does, or is, is a plan for a leader to address what they've uncovered as developmental needs. And then to establish some goals, as well as overlay some of their personal, professional, and maybe family goals uh, to, to come up with a plan on how they can improve, how they can move forward and become uh, the best version of themselves. Uh, so, so again, hopefully that helps a little, Scott, but, but really great to be here and get to share with the team. Yeah, that was a really fantastic overview of capital and some of those initiatives you have going on like Project Athena. So I, I would like to switch gears for a moment 
and take a look at the history of the Army's leadership field manual. So we're going to stretch all the way back to 1946 when we had FM 22-5, which was leadership courtesy and drill, which came out shortly after World War II. It kind of evolved from there, and we had uh, Training Circular 6 and DAPM 22-1. And between those three documents, the Army kind of established responsibilities, the qualities they expect from leaders, and a, lo and a lot of the principles. There was 10 that they were identifying in particular. Uh, it continued to evolve from 1951. It, we changed the title to FM 22-100, uh, which then was actually titled Leadership. In 1983, we also then saw the new framework or, or concept come into being called Be, No, Do. And in 1999, that became the subtitle for the manual. Uh, so we keep talking about Be, No, Do, and I really appreciate Be, No, Do. And we keep mentioning it over and over again. And it really piques my interest because when I joined the Army, that was the leadership framework that we operated on. So I, I really want to know for our audience what brought about the return to that leadership requirements model and how has it changed since that 1999 framework? Okay, that's a really good question, Scott. But one, I want to uh, make something clear that the LRM was first published in 2006. So the model you referred to in 1999 as the Be No Do model um, is completely different than what we use for the LRM now. So as part of that, what was retained from the model were the Army values, because those de debuted in that 1999 uh, manual. And then we brought back Be No Do. It was not officially part of the LRM until the 2019 ADP 622 publication. So it was sort of an informal tagline, if you will. It was the tagline that wouldn't die because it resonated with everyone. Um, so that was why we kept the tagline and brought it back. But the actual model itself, um, there were problems. It was inconsistent. It was conflated. It was confusing because um, it didn't have cohesion. And there were overlapping things between skills and actions. So there were things that you could do, but we didn't need the duplication. So as part of that um, process leading after 1999, there was the evolution of the Army Training and Leader Development Panel. And it was an extensive look into Army culture and leader, and leader training. And it ran from 2000 to 2003. And then after that outcome of that panel, um, there were a series of white papers and technical reports that kind of went through the history of our leadership doctrine to come out with what model do we want to have you know, as an enduring framework for all of our leadership. And that's how we got the LRM for today. Um, one of the other things that came out of the, L, um, the ATLDP is a process that we call CASEL. So it's currently the CAPL, our annual study of Army leadership. It started in 2005. Um, and it's going to be important because I use that as part of my research process to update uh, ongoing leadership doctrine. Um, and so the LRM has been the standard framework since 2006, and we've only made minor changes and additions since then. Great. And hey, uh, Judy, really uh, thanks for that. And, and again, I think it's important as we take a look back at, at our leadership doctrine, it's really uh, to frame you know, where we are today. And so we've talked about a couple of those documents, the ADP 622 and the FM 622, but I think it's important we all understand what the purpose of those documents are. And so for a lot of our listeners, you know, that this is pretty self-evident. Uh, but you know, our ADP really tells us, shows us uh, what right looks like in terms of leadership and those associated behaviors. And that's that, that LRM that Judy talked about, those competencies and attributes. What the FM does is it complements it and it helps us 
to guide how we can develop ourselves. We could do a self-assessment uh, by, by digging, it, digging into each of those competency attributes, but also how, how we can better support and develop other leaders. As they understand more about themselves just like ourselves, there's things we're good at and there's things we're not as good at. And spending time on those things that are important that we're not as good at is how we can move that needle in terms of our own personal uh, leadership effectiveness, just like we can with our, those we work with and those we work uh, around in our, in our overall teams. Uh, the LRM serves as the basis uh, for the other acti some other activities, and so I talked about a couple of those before. So it's important that we all understand that those companies and attributes, like I said, frame how, how we should behave and what that looks like. And so that's why it's a part of the developmental assessments in the PME experience. That, that's designed to help folks uh, supercharge and then connect with some resources, uh, improving their leadership. Um, the command assessment program is purely talent management. There's some feedback that each uh, participant or candidate gets and receives for their own self-development, but it's really to help the Army make a, a more informed decision about where our lieutenant colonels and colonels, uh, or who, which lieutenant colonel and colonels should lead at that level, as well as our brigade commands, our majors. And then finally, like I said before, it is the framework um, for our evaluations. That's, it's the lens we should be looking through uh, to help ourselves get better, our, our, the folks we work with get better, but also to evaluate that performance. So, so again, uh, Judy, I don't know, any thoughts from you? I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> I do. <clears throat> so that leadership uh, requirements model, um, I think over time it's become more uh, structured and formal. And so the be no do, I mean, I grew up in a be no do army, right? But the be no do piece, while officers were expected to, that was really an NCO model. That was linked very specifically to uh, the non-commissioned officer's creed and, and, and those kinds of things uh, with the, I'm going to show you how to do things. And then I'm going to embody that during the execution of whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and so it's walking the walk kind of mentality. So that informal relatability to a large part of the force, I think, is the appeal, right? So the science that goes into uh, the development of leaders or, or developing leaders uh, is one thing, but the manifestation for it, generally, we're not burying people under science. We're providing tools uh, and structure to get after that without you know, saying we have to explain how everything works. You really want to give something that sticks in people's head. Um, and I think the other piece, you know, when you ran through the history of, of, of the leadership doctrine, I find it fascinating that when we had a conscript army in the Second World War and we struggled over, uh, you know, leaders basically learning on the job in combat in many cases, uh, it took us a while to figure out that maybe we need to do something a little bit better on that. And as our armies become more professional, I think our, our, our leadership doctrine has become more structured as well. And I don't know whether it's a chicken and an egg thing or not, as we've had a professional force for uh, 50 years now. Yeah, and Rich, I, I think you know, some, gr some great points there. And I think you're, you're, you know, that's one of the things that, as we all know, that makes our force uh, so powerful. And that's that all-volunteer force. It's that professionalism and that, de and that desire through and that goal through our leadership uh, development of moving people from compliance-based leadership to commitment. And that commitment is so critical, as we all know, especially when we're put into uh, situations and scenarios, uh, generally somewhere other than the CONUS United States, um, that is going to challenge 
what is instinctively inside us for our own safety or the safety of our others. So, so I, I think absolutely that comes hand in hand, I think, with, with that professional approach uh, that, that we have grown more and more and that, that all-volunteer force. Well, I think that's part of the beauty of the relationship between uh, the Center for Army Profession and Leadership and the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate in that you guys review our other doctrine. And that helps you remember what we're developing leaders to do. And it helps us make sure that we're keeping abreast uh, of the terminology, but more importantly, the methodology, I think, for developing people to do the types of operations that doctrine describes. Okay, so I think I want us to stick with the history piece we've been talking about and kind of see what other common themes did you see in the history of Army leadership manuals as you were creating the new FM622? Well, part of it we've talked about, you know, the, the definition really sort of hasn't changed. Leadership is influence, how you work with your soldiers. Um, but overall, like for me, going back and learning that whole lineage, it was going to do the research. But really what I do now is I take all of the research we have out there and kind of make that usable for the general soldier, general leader. Um, but I look on Army research. So the focus there is I get feedback and input from Army leaders across, across the force. Um, but we also get feedback through our castle. I mentioned it earlier. And that is important because it's a representative sample and it also includes civilians. So it's not just our military. And that's one of the things that's unique about the 622 series is that it is both military and civilian application. Um, but I also read CTC studies, what's going on with the validation studies, and then senior leader topics that of interest. Sometimes it's like, I want to know more about this. And it's like, okay, we don't really cover it. Do we need to cover it? Is it something we need to address in doctrine first? Or is it just something we need to provide um, handbooks or some other uh, product? So we take all of that. And then, of course, whatever contemporary reader, leadership research is out there from journals and conferences. So we pull it from a wide base of places, but really the focus is on those Army leaders and getting feedback from our people because we know that's what works. And I think Judy brings up a great point that, listen, I'll be honest, I didn't fully have a full appreciation or understanding that, you know, all of our doctrine in terms of our leadership um, is grounded in, in research and studies. It's grounded in feedback from leaders and soldiers throughout our formations. It's grounded in history. It's grounded in what we learn from the civilian sector. Although not all of it's the same or applicable, it's all important that we, we understand uh, this human experience we all have while we're on this big uh, round ball. Uh, and because it's all about uh, providing that purpose, direction, and motivation uh, to, to our soldiers, to other leaders, and to our formations. Uh, and again, the ADP and the FM help us, helps us to understand better what right looks like, but not just because what right looks like because that's what the science of research says, but it's because that science of research tells, tells us that that's what's going to help us achieve mission success. And that's what we're after. We're, we're, we're an army that's, that's out to win, uh, and win 100% of the time. We're not perfect, uh, but we're sure going we're sure gonna, to uh, do, do a really good job when we do it, and our leaders are the absolute core or center of all that. Um, so not only tells us what right looks like, but it also reinforces, I think, that the Army is a learning organization, uh, that we are not static in our understanding uh, of leadership and how it's applied, um, uh, but we're also making, we're tr we're making the best we can data-driven decisions, and data not in the sense of statistics, but in, in terms of data of what we've learned from all these different sources that Judy talked about. You know, the castle that Army's uh, study on leadership that's done annually is, is, a, is a longitudinal look at things. So we're taking a look at uh, leaders, um, providing their perception of other leaders from the rank of 05 to 06, as well as our Army civilians across all compos, 
to try to ha have a, a clearer sense of what's going on inside of our formation because things change. Uh, I've been in the Army nearly 30 years, uh, and the Army is same, the same, but in some ways different than it was when, when I came in as a second lieutenant uh, a few years ago. Um, so as, as, we, as you touched on before, some of this is a, a little bit of a departure from, from, from our doctrine uh, of 1999 and before. Uh, some of it, it, it well, it is it's more informed in some ways. But I think Judy talked about and you asked a question about, you know, what, what can we learn uh, or what, what has been pulled from other pieces? I think one of the ones that Judy and I have talked about is, hey, listen, we're, we're watching what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, we're focused on large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations. Uh, the pace, the tempo, and lethality uh, of that environment is different than I have experienced in my time in the Army. Uh, different than my experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. And some of those, those human behaviors and reactions that come down to even, even the idea of fear uh, is a real thing. So how do leaders prepare to lead formations and teams and to lead through that themselves uh, in that environment? How do we prepare them uh, to be more effective uh, in what we see is going to be the next fight? Rich, any thoughts from you? No, I think uh, I, I think you pretty much got all of that. I, I was I was thinking as you were talking in terms of the the historical experience and how while some of the details have changed and certainly the supporting structures become more elaborate, the things that we're asking people to do haven't changed very much. And it relates very closely to you know we talk about the three dimensions of an operational environment: the human, the information, and the physical. And, and we portray that typically by putting the human dimension between the other two, because that's the interface uh, between those things. And your ability to execute or conduct leadership, lead other human beings, is influenced from both directions, right, as well as within uh, that human dimension itself with other people. So uh, I think we're on to something, and I think we're, the direction of the, do the doctrine uh, for developing leaders is going is, is very positive. So it sounds like we've covered quite a bit of the content in the book, and I kind of want to focus on how the book is organized with ADP 622. You know, it was published in 2019, and I'd like you to explain to me kind of how you mesh the content between that book and integrated it with the new FM 622. Sure. So going back to that, Scott, this ADP 622 gave us the LRM, and so that's the common language. It goes back to that whole common language, expectations, what, what do we need of our leaders but what's unique is that the FM gives you the how to develop those leaders and gives you the examples and ideas of what you need to do um, so that you know what right looks like. So as we go through the chapters, we'll kind of outline them just briefly. Um, chapter one kind of gives you those basic tenets for de developing our leaders, gives you those leadership requirements, just kind of highlighting the LRM, and then also building teams at an upper hand wave level because we actually have an ATP that focuses on Army team building. So plug for ATP 622.6. Um, so that's chapter one. And then when you get to chapter two, it's about fundamentals developing leaders and units. So we use a four-prong approach where leaders set conditions, they provide feedback, enhance learning, and create opportunities. And then from there, we also provide leader performance indicators for each attribute and competency. Um, and it's done by developmental needs, strengths, and uh, standard so that when you know, when you look at it, it's like it gives you those left and right limits of what right looks like. So what are those expectations? And that way you don't have to guess of, well, what is a standard? What is the strength? What is a need? Yeah, and, and, and uh, chapter three really provides some information on what I briefly touched on before, which is that third element of developing, or leader development, which is, is self-development. Uh, but that's that process, just like some of those developmental assessments we, we talked about before, really starts with identifying 
uh, a leader's strengths and their developmental needs, uh, and then setting some of those goals and, and then creating a plan. Uh, and the way that you know, that plan is structured is introduced uh, as DA uh, Form 7906 or the new individual development plan inside of Chapter 3 of, of the new FM 622. Um, most, most of your listeners, and we all here, are familiar with the idea of an individual development plan. It's not new to the Army. Uh, it's already discussed in the current version of ATP 622.1, which is our counseling process, which is also in the midst of uh, a major review. It's, actually, it's, it's uh, um, a draft of it is out for staffing across the Army, and we really looked at a lot of your listeners to help us uh, provide a greater framework providing feedback for folks. And I think Judy's going to touch on a little bit more. But, but inside of that ATP, it talks about the three types of counseling. And one of those is professional growth counseling. We might call this career counseling. And that's where that IDP is taking that kind of longer look uh, by an individual. What are my goals, not only from a professional standpoint, but maybe a family standpoint? And so 603 for officers and 625 help to structure that. Um, Helps, help us, helps an individual leader to understand, hey, what are those key developmental assignments? What are those broadening assignments? What are those things that I can do in the middle? Uh, if my goal is, is, to, is to reach a, a certain point in my army, in either my basic branch or a functional area. Uh, so again, uh, that IDP helps, helps a leader to, to grow uh, as they understand more about themselves and to, to structure their goals uh, towards, achieving, uh, towards achieving those goals, but also improving those areas they've identified. Uh, most are already familiar with the IDP because uh, previously there was another version. It's still out there. It, it doesn't, it's not a DA form. It's in the Army Career Tractor. Some folks are using it. Uh, we think this is a better version of it, and the Army has moved into this as the common uh, IDP. Because uh, this new version is, is more comprehensive and, and holistic, um, but it's still a very simple form. But really the power of the IDP is that conversation, that, 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 that work that the individual leader does to, to understand more about themselves and identify goals. But the conversation they need to be having either with a supervisor, uh, a rater, a mentor, as they begin to understand more about themselves and what their goals are for their army and how they can reach and achieve those goals. Uh, because as, as, as leaders, it's our job to help those underneath us to, to realize uh, their goals as best we can. They may very look, look very different than, than your career or my career, uh, but that purpose, direction, and motivation should all be aligned about getting the most out of each member of our team as well as ourselves. I think there's another piece to that that, and I know we talk about it, but we don't want people to get the wrong idea, I think, about certain things. The purpose of an IDP is to make you better. Absolutely. To make you a better leader. That makes you a more valuable member of the team, and it makes you a better soldier, uh, right? And there's nothing wrong with thinking about IDPs in terms of, hey, it's going to set conditions for me to rise to the level that I think I deserve. But that's really not what our business is about. You know, we, it, it's a be all you can be means uh, being the best you can be and not necessarily individual self-actualization in every case, right? You're going to reach that just by being very good at your job. Um, one of the things we realized as we were working through multi-domain operations and operational concepts and this focus on large-scale combat is we have got to return back to the days where everybody in a particular military occupational spe specialty or MOS uh, or a branch uh, is considered a subject matter expert in their field. And that subject matter expertise uh, extends to things like coaching and mentoring too, right? Because you can't coach, teach, or mentor something that you don't know what you're talking about. 
And so there's a demand and it's a top down piece and there's a bottom up piece to it too. Um, and those light bulbs were coming on, you know, pretty hard over the last couple of years as we were thinking through all the challenges we have as an army as we return to focusing to a different type of fight. All right. Those are all very good things. I want to also remember that the 7906 is just a tool to help you figure out right. where you're going. So I don't Absolutely. want you to think that's the be-all, do-all. Just a vehicle, yeah. Um, and that's not the, the whole focus of the of FM 622 either. So when you're looking at Chapter 4, if you're looking at the actual FM, Chapter 4 is really the bulk of the book. It's the how-to. And so that's, if you want to talk about the meat and potatoes, that's it. Um, so when we talk about each attribute and competency, there are 75 supporting behaviors broken out over the attributes and competencies. And within those... That's how we have like a table for each one of, if you go through those behaviors and it's broken out by strengths and needs, if they're underlying causes to concern, to be of concern, and then it breaks it out by feedback, uh, focus study, and practice. And those are the ways to improve those behaviors based on where you are. You, have, you don't have to go through them like, this is the first one, this is the second one, this, you can flip through it as you need it because it really is there to help leaders and subordinates figure out how do I get better at doing this? How do I get better at this part of my job? And so that's why the focus of the book really is chapter four. So No, Judy, I think you're right. And, and again, as I kind of referred to before, chapter four in some ways, whether you, whether you have access to a physical assessments, it itself can be used as a form of self-assessment. As, self as you go through each of those uh, behaviors, uh, and it provides you what, what's considered a strength and what's considered a need in each of those. So it's a great way for, for us to look at it both whether it's introspective for ourselves or whether it's for one of our leaders to help to describe uh, what, uh, what, what a strength is in each of those areas. And then as you get, you talked about is, is finding some ways and some strategies and tools and products uh, to help move that needle in those areas that you know that you feel that hey I I, I do want to get better I want to help someone that I work with get better. At. When when did we stop? And I know it was probably in the last 15 years or so, but I was just curious. When did we stop going? We always used to talk about strengths and weaknesses, and now we talk about needs. What what was the thinking behind that? A lot of it deals with the the psychology of language, if you will. Um, and I, I know it's part of the psychological evaluations that it mm. went from weaknesses to needs is that needs are a more positive approach to it so to speak okay than just saying you have a weakness no you have a need so I, I, I don't know an exact date or time but I just know that's kind of the evolution of the of the psychology and language okay mm -hmm. and I think whether it's a, a need or a, a weakness too I think it's important just like counter the concept of counterproductive leadership we all exhibit some of those tendencies from time to time we all have things that we can get better at. And, I, and that's part of that, to me, to me at least, that self-actualization, that self-awareness, that, that we all have these. And I think it's really important, especially those of us that have maybe been in the Army a little bit longer, that, that uh, leaders share with those that they work with uh, and acknowledge that they have things that they want to work on, the things they're working on. Because, you know, part of this is being, uh, being honest with ourselves and others. Uh, because, uh, you know, a, the job of a leader or commander is to make an assessment of those they, they, they work with to help them get better. Uh, if, if there is a, a two-way conversation and there's already some, some understanding from the, the individual looking to get better, I think it will just speed that process. And then I think it will it'll move, it'll move that relationship more towards commitment and less about I'm trying to evaluate you and it's about, uh, about something that, that may get me promoted or not getting promoted. Because I think it's back to what you said, Rich. It's all about getting leaders, making leaders better. Yeah, and so it, the Army is a team sport. 
right? And when you're in units, you're in teams. And so you've got subordinates, you've got peers, you've got superiors. Um, and understanding, I think, strengths and needs um, allows you to complement and reinforce each other in useful ways. You know, the bottom line is everybody's not going to be the same. We're all individual human beings, and we all have things we do better than other things, no matter how hard we try. But when we're honest about that and we communicate that around, other people can compensate. So that team kind of comes together. Uh, and we can match strengths against weaknesses and, and kind of get better. That's how, that's a whole part of team building, right? And I think, you know, because Scott's going to want us to move along, it's a, it's a great segue into Chapter 5. You know, Chapter 5 of FM 622, it, it provides a, a bunch of examples and products, but it's really structured around how to, how to structure and develop a unit leader development program. Uh, and that's about the individual, but it's really about what you're getting after, Rich. It's about the team. And so those products that are that are pulled uh, are pulled from across the Army. But they integrate uh, shared knowledge from not only the Army, but sister services and even the business world. Uh, and, and again, that, that's all once again grounded in a, a, a systemic and scientific systemic and scientific research. So um, so we can can validate that these are successful ways of helping to ensure that we have mission success. Uh, but FM 622 incorporates not only doctrine, but, but real-world experiences from leaders. So some of those tools and products in there are, are designed to help someone else uh, to develop their unit lead development program based on, based on the successes, best practices of others. But what I think is key, at least for me, to remember about these programs is it is about the team, uh, but each part of our team needs sometimes different things. We all have strengths, developmental needs, just like... Some parts of our organization need work in one area, while another may need work in another area. And these programs that are, you know, are designed and should be structured uh, to help the whole team get better, uh, as well as the individual parts. Uh, so if you didn't know, because I didn't know when I when I came to this job three years ago, there's a whole handbook on top of this chapter that helps leaders, uh, and that's primarily probably at the battalion, the brigade level, uh, to develop and structure a unit leader development program. And I think the last key point I would I would say is this: is that you know sometimes uh, a leader development program is thought of a stovepipe or something separate from our unit training plan. It's not. They should be nested. Uh, at, at every point of contact or, or every engagement between uh, leaders and teams uh, because they're all opportunities uh, for individuals and teams to get better. And you and I have talked about this. I mean, we haven't even done it in the podcast at one point, but we discussed this, this idea that you set expectations correctly, right? So when you're the commander, you're the leader, you're the first sergeant or whatever, your interactions with um, your subordinates in particular, you know, Sometimes I'm encouraging, sometimes I'm co coaching, sometimes I'm correcting. But every time we interact, that's a leader development opportunity. If we don't set those expectations so that they're, they've got that geared and the expectation is, well, we're going to sit down over a table you know, with two chairs and, and I'm going to develop you, that's not the expectation you would ever. And, and the doctrine does not do that at all. I'm just saying it is unbelievable how, how common it is when I counsel people when they show up in our organization for the first time and you ask them when the last time they were counseled, right? Have you ever been counseled? Have, you know, what kind, tell me about leader development programs in, in your formations. When we were doing the pre-command course, uh, BCAP, you know, the, the battalion command assessment program, counseling with people that were here and you would have those discussions with them. And it was really a little bit disappointing sometimes at the degree that people didn't understand they had never been coached or mentored to get to that point. So there's one thing I want to build on. So the whole genesis of this 
lineage, if you will, of FM622 as being a leader development document um, stems back from Castle. And, you know, like I said, it was Colonel Sands, it was a longitudinal study, so it started in 2005, give or take, um, when General Brown was the CG of CAC, about 2014 timeframe. He's like, look, for 10 years, we're showing that developing leaders is our worst rated competency. It's always the bottom. For civilians, military, didn't matter. Um, and the attitude was sort of like, why? Well, there's not a single one, but the kind of overarching part was, well, PME is that. No, everything you do is leader development. And I think that's what we try to bring out in FM622 is that everything you do is leader development. Just like your, you know, everything you do. You just can't let it go going, oh, I'm just gonna go to school and be done. No, it's everything you do. So just wanted to make that more clear. Okay, so it sounds kind of like you're talking about the fundamentals of development to me. And I really think, since we breached this topic, I think we, we can go ahead and get into it. Can you explain to me how FM622 really gets after the counseling versus coaching versus mentoring conversation? Yeah, sure, Scott. So ADP622 and FM622, while they introduce and kind of provide a foundation for the importance of feedback and they describe counseling, coaching, and mentoring, they don't really give you the how-to and they don't go into any great depth. So currently, ATP622.1 is the counseling process. But because of um, really the success of Project Athena and the interest in more coaching, and also along with BCAP and CCAP and you know getting more information about self-awareness, we're rewriting ATP 622.1 to become providing feedback. And it's sort of subtitled counseling, coaching, and mentoring. Um, and so we really go into those feedback processes and really give that detailed how-to on each one. I mean, there's a dedicated chapter on counseling, a dedicated chapter on coaching, dedicated chapter on mentoring. So that when you that is in your hands, you can actually go through it going, well, I'm not comfortable doing this, how do I do it? And it walks you through the process, gives you examples, trying to get you set so that you're not, oh, I don't know how to do that. So we're trying to make it that you have a resource there. Um, so I, it's really to help make it more clear for all leaders, because I mean, you don't get a background just because you're you know, a new leader doesn't mean you automatically know how to counsel or coach or mentor. So we've got to get it somewhere. Um, it's sometimes you have leaders that do that for you and you've had that experience, but a lot of times we don't. So we want to make sure that we provide that as a resource. Um, just so you can have effective conversations in your, your units. I mean, that's really what it's all about is conversations, communication, and getting that feedback. Um, so like I said, it's a major rewrite. It's actually, the initial draft is actually out worldwide staffing this week, um, goes through May, and then we'll have another turn you know, later this summer. But it's coming. I just need your input. Yeah, no, Judy, and, and again, you, I think you hit some of the really key points, and, and whether it was necessary or not, I'd just like to reinforce them. Is it, you know, as you said, and I think we'd all agree, uh, the studies, uh, a number of studies tell us what you already said and you said the castle does was with, with this this idea of providing feedback coaching counseling mentoring is something that that we as an institution need to get better at uh, it is it helps us to retain uh quality leaders it helps to provide feedback and to grow better leaders it helps to build cohesion in organizations um and, and the basic concept is like you just said it's just about having a conversation and not a one-way conversation, but, you know, ideally, you know, a, a two-way conversation or meeting uh, that other soldier, that other leader uh, where, where they are. Uh, but sometimes that's, that's a lot harder for others um, 
it's harder for some than it is others. Uh, it takes practice. It really does. Uh, it takes practice in screwing it up sometimes. When the second Lieutenant Sane started the first time in 1994 doing it, I had a great non-commissioned officer that was very patient with me, but also helped guide me uh, to have a more effective conversation. It was a counseling session, but it was a conversation. Uh, it helped to, to build on our relationship, but also to provide frank, candid feedback two ways. Uh, because there's the, there's the leadership piece we're talking about, but there's also that leading up. There's some folks that are in our formations that, that sometimes can to help us better see ourselves as well as those things that we're just missing about our organization. Uh, so again, that practice is so critical in, in engaging with our teams and each and every member um, who, who has, each has their own strengths. And like Rich, as you talked about before, it's all about making the team better and helping those with strengths um, cover others uh, who may have those as developmental needs and vice versa and making a, a stronger overall team. Uh, but again, that engagement makes individuals and teams more effective. Uh, and then I think, I believe that it can make build leaders that are, uh, have higher levels of trust and commitment, not only in each other, but in the army. And, and that is uh, critical uh, to mission success and, and, and mission accomplishment, especially in, in, the, in the, the intense environment we're talking about with large scale combat. You know, the other thing is as a topic, and you touched on it, Judy, uh, coaching. Uh, it's one of the, the ways that we define the ADP, uh, how we provide feedback. But you're right. When we started Athena, uh, coaching was one of the elements of that program and still is. Um, but many, many of our younger leaders, our small group leaders and instructors, really struggle with the idea. They felt they weren't prepared to have this conversation that's called coaching. Um, but coaching comes in many forms, uh, and, and they always, I think, lean towards what we, what we might call executive coaching. And that does go on in the Army. The Army uses that as a part of the command assessment program. As candidates uh, complete that process, they have, have an opportunity uh, to spend some time with a coach, an executive coach that helps them, uh, whether they got selected for command and they don't know it yet or didn't get selected for command, uh, to understand more about themselves and use that experience uh, to become a better leader in the Army. You know, the Army's also launched the Talent Management Task Force, the Army Coaching Program. It's, it's in its earlier phases, but it's beginning to grow more and more steam. And, and again, that's all helping the Army to structure a way to, have, help, have to, to connect leaders uh, with others uh, who are looking for another opportunity uh, to learn more about themselves and, and to provide, be given feedback. And then finally, I think what's sometimes lost on people, and Rich, I think you talked about this, coaching goes on every day. It goes on every day and inside of every one of our formation, whether that's in the motor pool, in the field, in the arms room, at PT, or on the range. Um, but all those, those forms of coaching that I've described there require a leader to, to do what our doctrine tells us to do. That's to be engaged. To be engaged and provide feedback, uh, and then provide, once again, that direction and motivation uh, to get better. Um, so over time, you know, as a part of Athena and other things, we've developed some tools, uh, a coaching guide and a coaching card, a number of things. And, and those are those things that I think, Judy, you're talking about. They're going to get pulled in the ATP, and they're really going to hopefully frame and provide some how-tos and some tools uh, to the force uh, to get after, I think, what sometimes is a more effective way of providing feedback than simply uh, um, just what we think of as traditional counseling. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to look at ATP 622.1 yet since you just went out, but uh, I'm going to give it a peek. But I'm curious uh, based on what's in it right now. And I always looked at coaching as not a voluntary arrangement. Coaching is a requirement of your duty position. If you're a leader, then you are required to coach your subordinates because I'm not sure how else uh, you develop them, right? You train them. Part of training is coaching, right? 
Um, so you, this is where that training and leader development come together, right, is through coaching. So if you think about sports, uh, you have position coaches, right? You got batting coaches and pitching coaches in baseball. In football, you got all kinds of different flavors. But that ability to coach comes from a, a significant um, body of knowledge and some level of experience doing the task that you're coaching people to do, right? And you have to have that to have that um, that sense of authority where you can speak confidently to someone and say, hey, uh, Private Creed, you need to, we need to work on this. All right, do this for me again. All right, now stop. We're gonna, we gotta work our way through that. And, and sometimes I think particularly in units um, in, in the operational force, um, I'm not sure everybody realizes that that's actually a form of coaching. You're doing training, but you're actually coaching, right? And your ability to do that, um, your um, sense of legitimacy, your confidence in being able to do that comes from being able to do those things yourselves. Uh, and that links back to a whole bunch of other leader uh, doctrine, right, that, that we have out there about two levels up and two levels down and those kinds of things. I just think uh, it's pretty interesting. Whereas when I think about mentoring, that's a two-way voluntary relationship, right? And typically you don't conduct mentorship within the unit while you're serving together at the same time. That's a long-term professional relationship that is voluntary between both parties that's initiated, can be initiated from either direction. You kind of have to have uh, personalities that mesh uh, and you kind of have to trust each other uh, to look out for each other in, in that sense. Um, and I think a lot of people conflate the two, that they think, well, I don't have a mentor. Well, I don't know. Maybe you do. Let's talk about what mentorship is. And then do you have somebody that, that you can reach out to after time? You and I have talked about this, and, and Judy and I have as well. If you're somebody that's been in the Army 20 or 30 years and nobody ever calls you, nobody who ever used to work for you ever checks in and says, hey, sir, ma'am, you know, I, I'm thinking about going to do this, and I'm really interested in what you think, uh, or i, I got to get ready for this next board. Can you take a look at my file? You know, those kinds of things. If no one ever reaches out to you, you probably haven't been doing something right. You know, Rich, I think on this whole thing, whether it's mentorship or coaching, um, I think what can't be lost in all of us, this comes down, and you're talking about it, it's, it's human interaction, it's interpersonal skills. It's so important that that's, that's a two-way street. Um, is that you know just the way I deliver the message is just as important as the person being being delivered to is receptive to that feedback. Uh, I find myself all the way, all the time with my 12 and 13 year old boys that they are not receptive to feedback. Um, <laughs> but I also have to acknowledge that that part of the reason they may not be receptive to feedback at that moment in time is because I haven't created the conditions. I haven't I haven't behaved or or provided the information in a way uh, that that helps them to become receptive. That it's, it's not an I gotcha moment. Uh, it's a, it's a, I'm here to help you get better because I want us to get better. Um, and, and I think if we think of it through some of that lens, sometimes it'll help everyone, uh, both the one providing the feedback and the one receiving it, um, to understand that this is about the team. It's about the team getting better. And you're a, a key part of that team, no matter what your job is, whether you're E1 private or you're the BCT commander. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, sir. So as the lowest ranking person in this room right now, I can tell you, I want to be coached, I want to be mentored, and I want the counseling. I think it's vital to a lot of us with our growth. Likewise, though, there's often a lot of times I have to look in the mirror and consider my own self-development. So I'm going to make a shameless plug here for the Military Review magazine. Their March edition this year 
started with an article from Colonel Schmidt, the director of Army University Press, and he opened the magazine with an article called, Read Like Your Life Depends On It and the Lives of Your Soldiers Depend On It. And I couldn't say there is a better title for an article that says, Hey, you need to develop yourself. And I consider reading a very important part of that. It helped me grow as a leader, a husband, and a father. And I just love that he opened the magazine with that. So as we talk about self-development, can you talk to me more about how FM622 covers the phases of self-development? Sure. Um, so Scott, we mentioned earlier, like as we did the outline, that Chapter 3 is kind of the bulk of self-development. That's its whole focus. Um, so it walks you through the process, you know, sort of step by step. How do you determine strengths? How do you figure out your needs? How do you set goals? How do you figure out you know, that self-directed learning part, like reading on your own, you know, where do you get that motivation? How do you figure out the methods? How do you figure out, you know, is this the right content? You know, so we kind of walk you through all of that. And we also tell you that, you know, part is a companion to reading, journaling. It helps you process what did I read? What did I take away from it? You know, what are those great ideas? Um, and then stepping back into the phases, once again, you know, setting milestones. Where do I want to be in six months? Where do I want to be in nine months? Whatever it is, or two years, five years. Because um, you got to build momentum. Okay. You just can't start and say, oh, I'm done, took the first step. And then as you build that momentum and you work through the phases, how do you assess your progress? Am I making you know, where I need to be? Do I need to adjust my goal? Maybe I need to adjust what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. Um, so that's really the bulk of Chapter 3. It's all about self-development. And we mentioned before, Chapter 4, it provides all of those um, developmental activities for all the different behaviors. And so that there, you can use that also to walk through the process of how do I, how do I stack up on this particular behavior? Maybe as you read through it, you go, I, I think I'm pretty good at whatever this one is. Maybe builds trust. And as you read through it, you're going, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not as strong in that area as I thought. Well, here's some ideas of what I can do to study or get feedback on to help myself improve in that area. So, so chapter three and four are kind of you know, linked in that regard because it's there to provide that information. Um, I think that's the biggest thing there is that you, you know, that self-assess and figure out where you need to go in your whole personal development. Don't you notice that there's that human uh, piece and we've all had it with subordinates in the past. Sometimes you have it with peers. Sometimes you have it with bosses every once in a while too, right? But uh, somebody will say, hey, so what do you think about something? And you say, well, if I were you, I would, I would work on these things. And they're like, uh-huh. And uh, th then you find out later they went and talked to like 15 other people because the answer you gave them involved work, right? And they were looking for a magic pill, as if there's some magic pill that's going to make you smarter or all of a sudden a, a great uh, leader of soldiers. And so uh, once you get people to get past that to understand that it's going to take a little bit of work, a little bit of self-application, um, particularly when you get ready to move into new jobs, you probably want to do some research on that before you show up, uh, whatever that might look like for, you, for your particular specialty uh, or that duty position, right? And that's where that coaching and mentoring all of a sudden comes back into play. Do I have somebody I can call to say, hey, I'm getting ready to go be a battalion S3, and I've never done that before. That's probably a bad example. How about a brigade S3, right? So I've been a battalion S3, but brigade's a little bit different. So who do I talk to to say, hey, Tell me what I need to know to be really good at this so I'm not trying to catch up all the time. Right. Well, I think that's one of the things. It's not a magic pill, but I do think one of the things about FM622 is at least it gives you a starting place. Because right. a lot of times you have no idea. I know I need to work on something. What do I need to work on? Um, and how do I do it? And I think that's the case for a lot of younger leaders, especially brand new sergeants. 
do they know how to coach and counsel? Maybe, maybe not. They've had, maybe they've had good leaders that did that for them, but oftentimes that's not the case. So this is kind of the focus of why chapter three and four are built the way they are. It is to give you that starting point. It may not be the absolute answer, but it gets you on the right path. And if nothing else, it gets you thinking about where you need to go. Yeah, I agree. And I think that reading part, the point that you put out in, in Colonel Schmidt's uh, article in Military Review, particularly with the direction the Army's going and the types of conflicts that we might be expected to prosecute on the nation's behalf, because if you don't have experience with something, then you need to read about other people's experience in, in that case. Because uh, if you can learn from previous experience, that, that's a, a level of self-development that uh, shouldn't just be the purview of history nerds, right? So the next topic is kind of a big one. We sort of touched about teams already. So leadership development programs, you know, your LPDs, your OPDs, your NCOPDs. And I, I, I got to know from the group, what makes a good leader development program? And how does 622 align with FM70 to help with that leadership program? So chapter five of FM 622, Scott, does kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, and we give you some basic elements of things that it should include. But really, when a, when a unit commander is sitting there, or a unit leader even, just whatever level, you got to figure out what is the purpose and the applicability. That's where you have to start. Figure, why am I doing it? What do we need to know? And then from there, you really should be nesting it with your overall training plan. Because if you're stovepiping it and like, OK, well, if we're training the six lanes on this and a, a warfighter on this, your leader development program should be supporting those things. It shouldn't be something taking a complete left turn and going, um, maybe we need to prepare for a deployment, so we're not going to give you information on, um, I don't know, offhand. It's just got to keep them nested. They have to be topics that are, you know, inter interrelated. And that builds success. No, and, and Judy, we, we talked about this a little bit before, uh, and Rich, we did too. It's, it's, you know, every activity we have uh, is an opportunity uh, for, for an individual or a team to get better. Uh, I, th I think sometimes, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, some of the assessments before, and assessments aren't necessarily a new thing in the Army. Uh, each of us is from a different branch or MOS. Uh, we have a, 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 a unique set of, of skills and competencies we must have, or, or, um, and that's normally in some type of certification or qualification. Whether that's a tank table or a fire sport table or, or, or whatever it is, it defines how we should perform things, the task, condition, standard. Uh, and, and we've all worked towards that. But, you know, as a part of uh, the leader development programs, a lot of these things that we're talking about are not as, as binary as, say, um, how do I get better on an Army combat fitness test? If I run 11 minute, 30 second, two mile, and that's not me anymore. Um, I don't think it ever was. Uh, but, I only, but I only deadlift 130 pounds. I very clearly know what I need to work on. Some of these other things we're talking about, interpersonal skills, my ability to build trust in my organization, uh, my ability to build teams, to build a, a positive environment, uh, th those, are, those are, are, are much more, maybe some might say, squishy. Um, but these assessments are one way that we can get some feedback to, to work towards these things. Uh, so with that comes that self-awareness piece, but those types of, of skills are just as, if not more important, uh, when it comes to le leading and building a cohesive team. And so working those things into that unit leader development program, as well as into our own maybe IDP if we have one, uh, our old plan to get better, is something that we, we have to look at at each phase of our career. Uh, because just like the assessments that are being introduced in PME, those developmental assessments, 
they're progressive and sequential. So they get more difficult and complex, just like what the Army expects of us as we, as we move up through the ranks, whether it's to sergeant to staff sergeant, going from a team leader to squad leader, or whether it's uh, the battalion S3 to the brigade S3. Each of those steps is an opportunity to learn and grow, um, but, it, but it also requires, a, a, uh, requires us to be reflective and then seek feedback from other people uh, to, to find out what are those, those, those knowledge, skills, and behaviors, those competencies and attributes that are important for success. And that may look different for, for one leader uh, than another leader because we're all unique individuals. Uh, we're all uh, a part of a larger team. But again, all I could go back to is that every interaction is an opportunity. Uh, and so, you know, LPDs, OPDs, NCOPDs, uh, range briefs to the battalion S3 or battalion commander, uh, lieutenant certification programs, a whole host of, of great ideas that are out throughout the force are all just a part of, of that training, that leader development program. But really, it's a part of unit training program, too, because uh, making an, a junior leader uh, better at uh, uh, better at leading their teams is going to make them better at um, all those technical skills too because it's about it's a team sport like rich said i'll tell you one of my great frustrations uh 32 years in in the army and then the last few years as a civilian uh is it how many people talk about leader development programs and how few actually implement them Right. And so everyone's comfortable talking about it. And then, you know, if you start asking leading questions about, so what does your program look like? Well, we're thinking about doing this. Um, and so I, I made that a focus of the, the, the pre-command course counseling sessions. And I, I think um, the very notion of a positive command climate stems from having a leader development program that is consistent and is both broad and specific, right? Um, and so when we talk to our subordinates, uh, whatever the topics are that you're choosing, I've always found it useful to alternate between very specific topics, skills, right, necessary, how do I do a call for fire, develop an engagement area, command supply discipline, um, those kinds of things, right? Uh, or maintenance operations, right? So those are very specific things. But you wanna alternate them from time to time with broad topics to talk about the profession and what we expect leaders to do, what have leaders had to do in the past, and have those kinds of discussions. Because what I found is when you alternate that, along with some sort of team building things like officer sports or NCO sports, you know, once a week, um, you do two things. One, you're helping to develop future leaders, uh, not just for their current job, but for greater levels of responsibility in the past. And then they are learning about you because you're personally engaged with them and you're facilitating a discussion. So when someone says they do a leader development program and then it's only you know, somebody else leading the discussion as opposed to the senior leader in the room, that's not really your program. It's okay for them to, to set it up, but you should be central to whatever that session is, sharing your experiences, sharing you know, lessons learned the hard way or the easy way throughout your career. Um, so they're learning about you, but you're also learning about them, right? So you always get snapshots of your subordinates, and oftentimes your, your vision of a subordinate is the time you caught them doing something the wrong way, right? And so you may have this view of Lieutenant X uh, as being kind of a dummy. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get into the room and you've got all the officers in the battalion sitting around in a conference room like this, and you're, you're, you're discussing um, 
the aspects of this kind of war or gates of fire or some f fictional thing and starship troopers because you wanted to give them something light and let's talk about something that's very broad right uh, and all of a sudden somebody that you thought was kind of slow you realize they're extremely clever they're very intelligent that they're deep thinkers that they've done that and that sports piece with the officers same thing you learn about personality types you learn about all kinds of things and they're again learning about you and it's that personal engagement that takes place and it takes you know probably uh, an hour a week and it's probably uh, two or three hours a month to do that but if you make the time to do that and everybody knows that it's coming it's it's amazing people at first, they're moaning and groaning about it. Like, oh, I'd rather be doing something else. We've got other things to do. As soon as you do it, after you do it for a couple months, everybody's excited. Like, they want to show up. They want to have a conversation because they want to be heard, but they also want to hear what you have to say. Well, I think it's a great point, Rich, too, is it you, you to me at least, you know, just the idea that you brought out, which is you made, this, you made this an emphasis. You made this a priority in your organization. And I think the other thing that maybe didn't come clear to everybody is that, you know, those activities you talked about have, have desired outcomes you as a leader. You know, what, it's not just, hey, we're playing team sports or, or we're going to discuss a book we read. It's an opportunity to engage uh, with your team, but it's an opportunity to assess them. And not assess them in an A versus F, uh, but to know them in a better way. And I think that's sometimes maybe what we don't always do well, which is in some of these activities, think about what are, my, what are, the, what are the outcomes I'd like to get out of this? And in the same way, when we do unit training, we're always a lot of times focused in an AAR afterwards of, of what went well, what went uh, poorly, how can we get better, and very technically focused. And I think sometimes we miss an opportunity to discuss um, this idea of leadership. Is it, how, how did leadership behave uh, through this this table. How did this leadership behave through this exercise? Where where was it uh, where was it helpful? Where was it not? And I'm not talking. I'm talking bigger than than uh, than just decision making. And I think the other thing is what was the you know how did the team behave? I mean, there's organizations that may have hit every training gate and performed well at every one, but if their their climate or their cohesion uh, isn't isn't strong. When they hit a crucible or they hit uh, things that become more difficult or new or new, yeah. uh, then there's a tendency by some to to then uh, no longer be uh, that that high performer and maybe even crumble. Or, or and that's why that that human aspect of us us seeing each other as a team and working together and want the best for each other uh, is so so important. But I think miss sometimes because it's it's not uh, definable in terms of a minute and a second or or a degree of accuracy or precision. Well, we're kind of getting near the end of this, so I have a couple of fun questions and time for some shameless plugs from the FM622 team. So I got to ask, what makes FM622 different from the average leadership book you can pick up from Barnes & Noble? All right, first off, Scott, my gut reaction is to tell you it's free, okay? <laughs> All right, but seriously, um, it's geared to what Army leaders need. And it's, it's tested, it's real life, what works for Army leaders, um, but it's flexible enough that it can apply to any organization or any industry out there. It, it's just, it's got universal concepts and we just tell you how to make it work. Um, and of course, by it being a, you know, an Army product, we also have lots of supporting products for it. So if you come to the website, you'll find all kinds of things like the Command Climate Navigator, our, uh, LPDs in a box, you know, that kind of take away those leadership topics and kind of give you a, a structured way to get at them. So it isn't just the book once and done. It's a book plus support. 
And you can reach out to us. And Scott, I would tell you that if you look at most of those books, and listen, I read a lot of them too. Uh, so I just don't sit around all day and read FM 622. I know that's a shock to Judy. Um, but you know, all those books, if you take them, you take the concepts in them, whether they have some, some fancy uh, uh, term or phrase that makes it you know, uh, recognizable on the shelves of Barnes & Noble, is that I bet you most, if not all, that stuff in those books fit in the LRM. Uh, because, you know, like Judy said, everything in the LRM uh, is specific to our profession. It's been tested. It's been studied. Uh, but it's not, it's, not, it's not necessarily unique. It's just the expectation in our profession is that all leaders, no matter what rank, are putting this together. We all get, we're all better at some things and not as strong at other things. Uh, but it's all about working towards being the best version of ourselves and, and, and being all we can be. Um, but, you know, uh, I think the other thing we can't forget is that leadership is a competitive advantage that the United States Army has against our adversaries. Um, our adversaries across the world envy but cannot replicate what we have. And, and although that we have some very professional, we have professional officers and we have professional warrant officers and Army civilians, I would tell you that in my experience, our non-commissioned officer corps uh, is what sets us apart. Uh, it set us apart for, for decades, if not centuries, and it will continue to. Uh, because our non-commissioned officers, which, which make up the weight of our leaders in the Army, are the ones that are where the rubber meets the road. They are the ones that, that like Rich said before, are coaching, uh, are, are training uh, young soldiers in their teams every single day. So we need to do, as more senior leaders, everything possible to support them, to support them and enable them to do the best possible job. Because in the end, it's gonna, uh, when metal meets metal somewhere around the world, it's going to come down to a squad leader, a platoon sergeant, uh, making split-second decisions that, that are going to mean the life or death of, of, of some young man or woman. Uh, so, Yeah, I, I think the Nike uh, saying of just do it, at some point we can lead people to uh, the water of doctrine. We can lead to them the water of all the, the uh, different products and programs out there. But at some point, it's an individual responsibility to, to just do it. And I, to pile on to Sam's point, uh, in the current FM30, we changed our, our combat power model. Um, and we, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but one of the, the qualitative difference between like types of units, whether they're friendly or enemy, is, is the leadership. That's the qualitative difference uh, in combat power between the same types of units. And everybody has been in the Army long enough, if they listen to this podcast, to have walked in to the exact same type of units. So you're in a brigade, you go to one infantry company, you go to a different infantry company, or one tank company, or another tank company. Uh, they're identically organized, identically manned, and yet the atmospherics and uh, the climate in those are different. They have a different feel. And, and why is it that they feel different? I, th I would argue it's the, the differences in leadership. And it's not all good or bad, but they're different, right? Uh, and again, it drives you back to that human dimension of our business, of which this is probably the most important. So I think everyone's answer around this room should be FM 622 or the 622 series to this next question. But I got to know, what is your favorite leadership book or books, and what websites do you frequently visit and deal with leadership? Okay, I guess I'll start. And I listen. I, I'll, I will. I will admit it right here between Mr. Creed and and, and Miss Price. I am I'm the least well read uh, of the three. But uh, listen, I, this is something that, that I did not start off my career. I started off reading a lot of FMs um, and, and doctrine because I I 
felt I needed to create a baseline. Uh, but I think you know, reading is so critically important. And I think Rich was talking about this. Uh, there was a famous poet at one point that said, history may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. Uh, and so I think the more we can uh, add to our kit bag, uh, the better we are postured uh, to be able to lead as effectively as possible in, in any given situation. Listen, there's a, I'm not going to name anybody specific. There's a, there's a ton of great podcasts out there today uh, that are a real change from when I came in the Army. Uh, it's a really great way in, 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 a, in a short um, a short time to learn a bunch from other people. Uh, I think biographies, reading about economics, geopolitics, international relations, foreign affairs, uh, human character, human behavior, group dynamics are, are all important to who we are. But I think the biggest thing is, is that, that uh, like, like myself, um, and I think the first book that I, I read in, uh, sometime early in high school that really took it off was, I think it was a Tom Clancy book, A Red Storm Rising. It was, you know, that was, that was back to Cold War days. Uh, but it really, it, it defined equipment and all kinds of things. I think the key is really finding uh, what you enjoy, enjoy reading and then just getting after it and reading it and discussing and sharing with others. Uh, and again, like I said, as you, as you read, uh, whether it's something old or new, uh, try to read with a critical eye or ear. A question, pull threads, challenge your own biases. Uh, I think it, it will expand how you think, uh, both critically and creatively, and then will... Uh, allow you to provide maybe a, a greater diversity of thought as a part of a team. And I think that that's what makes our teams so incredibly strong um, in our Army because folks come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, uh, and we, we've got to pull that from each of them because they may not feel it's important, but it so is, and reading is a great place to start. Uh, but in the end, uh, this is all about being better postured, like I said before, uh, to be able to understand and apply and decide uh, when time is short uh, and conditions are complex in a situation. In a lot of cases in our business, let's face it, there's probably somebody on the other end who wants to kill us and our friends. And so the more we can do uh, before, before game time, I think that the better we're, we're ready to, uh, to meet that, that challenge uh, head on. Oh, you want me? Okay. So Sam, I think hit it all. I think biographies, both military and political, for me, they were personally appealing because I'm interested in both of those things. And the neat thing about that is you can pick somebody you think you're going to like, and you <laughs> might learn something about them, and you're like, well, they probably weren't, it wasn't as easy. And I, I stay away from autobiographies. It's not that they're not interesting, but I want it, something that stood the test of time, and it's not something that's released without a lot of you know, historical context. Um, military history, obviously, is a no-brainer. But I think the part I would add is it doesn't make any difference what epic or era. If you're interested in the Romans, or you're interested in the Middle Ages, you're interested in World War I or the U.S. Civil War, whatever, it doesn't really matter because the human aspects of that are unchanged. And the same kinds of issues typically adjusted for technology uh, or, or historical context, it hasn't changed much. The other is that useful fiction that you were talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, and the reason why, to me, useful fiction is really powerful and I would include science fiction in that as well, is because it tends to take an idealized view. So you've got characters that get everything right. You've got characters who are flawed. You've got characters who are, that are super bad guys. But even then, they'll have some, if it's well done, redeeming quality. And that kind of helps you see the world in an informed way, because even though it's fiction, those authors base the fiction on real world examples. They're not just making it up out of their head. Um, and then I think I have a couple particularly favorite uh, series of books, and one's relatively recent, the last 20, 30 years, the Rifleman series, 
um, about the Napoleonic era. It typically starts with small units, but it ends up in the series large units. And then CS, anything by C.S. Forrester. So he wrote the Hornblower series. It's naval fiction, but it is the development of a single leader over the course of a 30-year career. And it's very well written. It's easy to do. But his other books touch on similar themes. So I want to say yes, all of the above on the broad topics, you know, nonfiction, the, the technical stuff. But I definitely want to put a plug in for novels because novels are about relationships with people. And leadership is all about relationships with people. And the other thing about novels is that they give you that step back to say, what if? What if I was in that situation? I may not do it the way that character did it, but it makes you think through it. And as a leader, you can't think through every situation in advance, but a novel often gives you that chance to do that thinking without harming anyone. Yeah. And so reading those novels, and I've, and I've had folks that are like, well, novels are a waste of my time. They're not worth it. You've got to stick with the biography. You've got to stick with the history. No, really. Novels have their place, and they're necessary because they are other people, and it's all about what if. And that's what leadership is. What am I going to do? What are you going to do, Lieutenant? What are you going to do, Sergeant? What are you going to do? And the novels give you that ability to, to think through it in advance. So read. Read everything. Read anything. Just read. And think about it. That's my big plug. Spot on. Gentlemen, ma'am, thank you so much for the insight today. And thank you for your continued stewardship of our Army. It's been a lovely time sitting here talking with you all in getting your insights into developing leadership. In preparing for this episode, most of my questions emerged from getting reacquainted with some current manuals, specifically ADP-1, The Army, ADP-6-22, Leadership in the Profession, and FM-622, Developing Leaders. There are some older books I was looking at as I was doing my research as well to include FM 22-100 from 1999, which is Army Leadership, Be, No, Do. FM 622 from 2006, which is Army Leadership, Competent, Confident, and Agile. And then the most, uh, the previous version of FM 622, Leader Development from 2015. As always, the current books are available for download on the Army Publishing Directorate website. My internet browser bookmarks include numerous leadership websites to include From the Green Notebook, 3x5 Leadership Shelf, Military Review, War on the Rocks, and the Harvard Business Review. A quick trip to your local bookstore or a search on Google will find you a plethora of leadership books and articles. But in the meantime, I will inundate you with a list of some of my favorites. The 21 Laws of Irrefutable Leadership by John C. Maxwell, Defeat into Victory, it's Field Marshal Viscount Slim's autobiography, Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership are by Jocko Willick and Leif Babin, Game Changers by Mike Lupica, and then Asking the Right Questions, A Guide to Critical Thinking by Neil M. Brown. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Our production is coordinated by Mr. Ted Crisco, and our editing and sound is provided by Captain Wyatt Harper. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on either Apple or Google Podcasts for new episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at U.S. Army Doctrine for updates from the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, as well as our Doctrine Digest videos, audiobooks, and most importantly, new doctrine. Finally, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, 
or the Combined Arms Center. I'm Captain Scott Jones, and this has been Breaking Doctrine.